All right, so welcome to our episode of Beyond Wellbeing today. And we've got a very special guest with us. And we want to be talking with uh, Lawrence Mitchell. And he's got a very interesting background in um, big corporate business. And it's not in the kind of uh, starting place that you might expect for uh, this particular topic that we have on well-being. So let's um, let's get into the show and um, find out who Lawrence is and uh, what he can contribute to this conversation we're having around well-being. Beyond well-being, leading a thriving, generative, and conscious workplace culture, with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. Lawrence, I'm very curious about um, what brought you to uh, well-being and what's your particular approach? Sure. Now, hello there. It's good, it's good to be here. So what brought me to well-being? It's funny, isn't it? Because nobody, nobody wakes up and says, I want to be in well-being. That wasn't something that I, uh, uh, that was on my uh, career goals early in, in my life. What really happened, um, I think like a lot of people who get into this space, it starts from a personal place. And that was certainly my story. I, I, my, my background is in um, media and publishing and marketing. And um, over the last 20 plus years, those, um, that, those industries and functions have completely transformed, completely changed. So um, I've never known a stable business environment. I see it now as an advantage, to be honest. But, you know, my very first job was in publishing. And then within six weeks, both the people who hired me were made redundant and that's just been the uh, uh, the um, uh, the flavor of my career uh, restructure change transformation and to be able to survive in that kind of very volatile environment I realized quite early that I needed to adopt good habits um, in the early days I had really poor habits I was drinking a lot I was you know smoking and those types of things weren't sustainable and I had a bit of a health uh, scare in my early 20s, um, which again was, was fortunate because that shocked me and that sent me on, on a path to really starting to find the truth, I guess, about what health looked like. And I started to upgrade my nutrition, my, I became a big runner and all of those things. Then I had another uh, health scare about 12, 13 years ago which made me much more acutely aware of the importance of mental health and psychological well-being. And then I made more changes and, and, uh, and um, introduced different practices into, into my life and felt so much better, achieved such great results. As I always say, the ROI of, the, of that decision was, has been pretty significant. Um, and then, of course, I, um, I trained to be a health coach. At that point in my career, I was chief marketing officer for a very big um, FTSE 20 company based out of London. So I had 200 people working for me. The business was transforming. And it was a very exciting time, but a very stressful time. And um, Again, I needed to have the right, what I call well-being and resilience toolkit to support me uh, in doing that job because I was making big decisions about uh, the business, but also about people's lives. Um, restructuring departments requires um, a lot of thought, a lot of decision, and I, I found that very, very stressful. And, um, and I needed to be able to be in my be in my best condition if you like to be able to do my work and that's why i that's that's how i how it evolved i then as a side hustle trained as a health coach and then started to coach and support other other people as i was learning and then i brought that knowledge into the corporate because 
I felt like I'd done all of this investment in knowledge and upgraded all of these habits and had all these toolkits, but all of my team were like highly stressed and, uh, and, and I wasn't sure how I could like where the line should lie uh, in the sense that I'm, I'm a very passionate advocate for well-being in a very holistic sense. Um, and I've created my own model now, which is six different pillars. But nutrition, I always saw as the foundation because nutrition is part of our bodies. You know, it's not something that is adjacent. We all have to eat and that food becomes who we are, literally. And, um, and I realized if you upgrade the food that you eat, you upgrade your energy, you upgrade your lifestyle, but how to actually communicate that in a corporate context, it wasn't easy because food is a very personalized approach. And eventually I created a well-being program where I was working as a, um, I became the well-being champion, which then turned into this massive thing because this was five years ago, so about uh, 2014. Um, and now it's become this massive global uh, well-being program. So it was ahead of its time, um, but uh, had huge, uh, huge benefit. Um, and, and then just to complete the story, I'm now living in Sydney. Uh, so I moved here a few, uh, a few years ago. And that was another point of um, uh, distress or disruption in my own life. And, um, and the well-being and resilience toolkit just evolved. And I worked for uh, Sumo Salad for a few years, so a very entrepreneurial business, but another business that was going through a transformation. So Sumo has been on a, a really interesting uh, journey, uh, but the product was very aligned to my own values. So I've never worked in the food industry before. So um, <laughs> there was a big learning curve and I'd never worked in Australia. I'd never worked in a franchise model, um, but I learned and I evolved and developed. And um, you know, now three years later, um, I'm a, a great advocate for uh, sharing these tools. I do that through my own, um, my own business. I call it Raw Energy, which is about resilience, authenticity, and well-being, because I know these tools work. And in, in a period of, uh, of, of time, which is extraordinary in the sense of the amount of change and disruption, um, I'm keen to share these tools so that people can feel empowered and feel uh, in control and more uh, more um, responsible for their own health and their own well-being rather than feeling victims you know and having to uh, live in this state of fear uh, and stress which as i know through my own research uh, into the into this area actually is um, is the opposite to um, to to what we're looking for in terms of health and well-being mm. now let's uh it's a huge journey you've been on there. And, and I suppose as you've come into this place now, you've had an eye on where kind of well-being's at across the industry and um, across corporations and, and various size businesses and organisations. And I think something you mentioned off mic before was around um, those that are championing well-being in organisations now, it can be kind of a, a bit of a lonely path for many. Can you kind of bring us up to speed with what you've seen around in terms of how organisations are supporting themselves, the kind of things, and, and, and I suppose how we can kind of help them, help the community out in that sense? Yes, no, for sure. So I would say that Intellectually, if you, if you asked uh, any leadership team, is well-being of your people important? There's not many who are going to say no. 
Um, but there's a difference between understanding that at an intellectual level and then executing that at a deep level. And the reason is because often we're very focused on short-term, short-term results. And short-term results means we have to compromise. So we have to say, okay, we have to, um, we have to pivot our business, we have to change our business, which means we have to cut costs. And even though those costs, if you look at it over a long period of time, actually may be a very detrimental thing to do. They're the judgments that we're making as leaders over time. And there are many people in an organization that can see the problems, but they don't feel empowered to make a change. They don't know how to make a change. Um, so they end up feeling uh, miserable about it. They end up thinking, I need to find another job. Uh, and rather than thinking, well, actually, there's an opportunity here with my knowledge, with my experience to actually create a culture of well-being. Um, and position it. And that's pretty much what I did, you know, as a person. And I was in a position of influence because I was chief marketing officer and I had responsibility for a lot of people. I was on the board. And but at the same time, I um I was a lone person, if you like. Like I could see the problems and I didn't know what to do about it. So I then connected with the um, head of occupational health because I thought she'd be a good person to start with and what was fortunate for me was that she her values and her her beliefs were very aligned with my own we both saw things in a very holistic way and then there were two of us suddenly with the same agenda then then we reached out and then suddenly there were 10 of us with the same agenda and then it started to grow so um, so that's kind of my own story of how that evolved but in organizations now there are, and I often think about, I often think about um, people in three, in three ways. I, I talk about the red dot, the green dot, and the uh, yellow dot uh, approach. So the green dots are the people who are looking to champion change, positive change, but often they feel isolated and they don't feel connected and they don't know how to actually, um, how, how to actually move these things forward. So what we do is around community. So a large part of my work now is I run a, a well-being at work. Um, it's a summit, but it's really a community of people that come together, uh, either in a physical way as it was in the past or now in a virtual way, to really be able to give each other support to help build exp expertise so that um, when you go back to the workplace or your own workplace, you feel energized to make change and recognizing that change, we talk a lot about transformation, but change and transformation are not easy things to actually do. They require a lot of, um, a lot of energy and often, often you feel and I've, I've experienced this many times, often you feel like the mountain is just too big to change. Um, it's like, golly, um, how can we ever, it's like looking, at, looking up at Everest, thinking how can we ever climb this enormous thing? And the way you do that is one step at a time. And if you keep going, you get to the top. And that's really the philosophy what we do. We, we help people who feel that they just want to go all the way back to the bottom and because it feels too hard, there's too many obstacles, and we just can't do this. This is not just in the well-being agenda, this is true for life. Um, but you need that support. You need, in the coaching world, we call it accountability partners. You know, you need that accountability to be able to help yourself move forward and work together. So that's all. That's ultimately what is where you can create this ripple effect of change. And I hear lots of people in the wellness um, 
industry in particular talk about movements like we want to create a movement i think that's very a, a word of the time because a movement means people are working together with a common purpose so we need a purpose you know we talk about in my model i've got five 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 pillars of well-being five dimensions of life if you like one of those is connection and, and connection is all about feeling connected to other people and we can work together towards a common goal and um and a business is is like that that's what a business is you work for a company because you feel aligned to the purpose of that company and we're all working together towards that towards that common goal so connection is important uh, and an important uh, an important um what's the word but it, it's important for people to feel connected to something as an intrinsic motivator so that they can keep moving forward so in those dark moments when you think I'm working so hard and I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you actually realize you are actually making progress. You just can't see it. You just got to have confidence that you're heading in the right direction. And that's where the community comes together. And I'm part, I'm very fortunate um, that I'm part of many communities around the world now that help to um, help me to feel energized and help me to feel that we're actually um, driving a cause that is um, very important, um, not just for individuals, but for businesses and for whole communities of people. Because work, if we're honest, shouldn't be um, something which is, um, it shouldn't be something which is um, detracting energy. Work should be something which is enhancing our, our life. It has been for me for a lot, you know, all my life. Like career is really important, and uh, I wouldn't allow myself to be miserable in work. I always wanted work that would really um, energize me and, and give me that sense of uh, that sense of purpose. And it's the same uh, for um, you know for many people. Mm. You mentioned connection. I'm I'm curious about the other pillars of your well-being um, model. Sure. So I've, I've got five pillars. I've got five pillars. It's it's mind, body, and um, and um, you know, spirit, if you like. I call them physical well-being, which is our body. So making sure that our body is in uh, the best condition. I call it mindset and emotional well-being, which is uh, foundational and, and and important. Uh, connection. Connection is is about purpose, as I mentioned, but it's also about connection to other people, connection to nature, connection to um, a hobby or something which is um, which is important to you. And then the last two is financial well-being, and so money uh, as a source of. Um, as a source of freedom, that's how we see money. It's very important in our time and important tool. But again, it's finding the equilibrium around that because many of us will um, sacrifice um, our values for money. Um, but finding money, which is um, and financial well-being, is, uh, is is an important enhancer of um, of total well-being. And the last one is time. So uh, time is the most precious source of um, energy because it's finite. Um, I always say you're never as young as you are right now. And you know, if you waste your time, you waste your life. So being able to really optimize your, your time is important. And those five pillars um, are clearly interconnected. So financial stress will impact uh, mindset and emotional well-being. That will impact physical well-being. So it's a very, ho it's a very holistic model. Um, and there's a toolkit and a diagnostic that actually goes, uh, goes with that. So people can really understand where they are out of balance in terms of those pillars and then dig deeper to understand what's causing that, um, 
uh, that problem so they can bring themselves back into uh, equilibrium. And uh, I've created a whole series of guides aligned to those pillars um, called Equilibrium, which provides a whole practical tool set to, um, to help people find their own equilibrium, recognizing that we're all individuals and there isn't one size fits all. The principles are the same, like we all need to move our bodies, but how we move our bodies is an individual thing. And that's why in, in, the, in the physical wellbeing guide, we've got dancing, we've got HIIT training, we've got running, you know, all kinds of different ways that will connect with individuals. And the message is move your body consistently. How you do that is down to your own uh, personal choice. That's brilliant. Now, I just want to um, help us today to probably equip some um, some well-being specialists within organisations. I imagine, as you were saying before, that still with within uh, organisations and enterprises, corporations of any size, there's still going to be um, across different departments. Um, levels of cynicism and you know we're talking about the finance department before going well you know uh, is this going to cost us or what's the ROI on this what how how are some ways that you've been able to um, help uh, well-being people and and to speak within organizations about the um, the benefits of a well-being program or of a of a well-being approach as something that actually is good for the business and good for the community, good for the world in that sense? Yes, completely. Thank you for that question because when I, because I've got a background in marketing and as marketers, we, the job of a marketer is to understand a customer, understand a customer really well, understand the customer's problem, think through solutions, create those solutions in terms of different products or propositions, and then communicate those, um, those, um, uh, th those solutions. But you need to, to be able to pull all of that together, you need, to be, you need to understand the level of investment required and the level of potential benefit that will come through. So as marketers, that's what we do. If you trans, trans, uh, translate that to the wellbeing world, then it's gonna be very similar. So, and you can't measure absolutely everything, but you need to recognize that as a business, there aren't endless um, financial resources uh, but there is going to be a benefit so being able to um, understand and quantify that benefit helps you to be able to articulate that to a, to a chief financial officer and also being able to articulate the costs so we know what the inputs are and what the outcomes are and there's a there's, there's a lot there but I always look and there's been a lot of studies uh, that have been done trying to answer this question so there are studies that have been done that show for example that for every dollar you spend uh, on well-being you'll get ten dollars back over a period of time other studies have shown for every dollar you spend you get four dollars back and you need to dig into that research to really understand what what, what was being uh, what was being measured, and um, but I always look at the level of engagement, um, how engaged people are in a, in an organisation, the level of resilience in an organisation, the level of um, I mean the, the the traditional measures were absenteeism um, and measuring that because that gives you something very um, uh, very concrete to me to measure the 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 cost of recruitment. So there are a number of different uh, numbers. That people can actually measure to try and attribute um, an investment in well-being to those um, to those things at a high level, and then at a more tactical level, you can measure the level of engagement with uh, with specific uh, initiatives. I think one of the one of the the great 
insights that I got having run a big well-being program, which had thousands of employees across multiple uh, multiple countries, and was the personal stories. That's what I found really connected with the um, the board in a much deeper way. Because initially, I was doing I was showing all the numbers and saying that we spent this because this project started because of my passion but I was also aware that I wanted it to sustain it couldn't stop when I stopped and I, even, I did it I ran it for two years and got it by that point period of time I, I was ready to move to Australia um, but it was very integrated into the culture so we could so the, the, the um, investment was sustained and, and has continued um, but it's personal stories that really demonstrate the ROI the individuals who may have attended a webinar or a talk on any topic and came away with awareness that they didn't have before and that awareness leads to motivation for them to change we did lots of different things so for example we did a one of the most successful things were the challenges very tactical but they started the the, the process we did a 30-day challenge and um, which was very much focused on movement but that created community and everyone around the world came together. We had a Facebook group and um, it really helped people start to move. But that started the journey. And a lot of people at the end of the 30 days just would go back to how they were before. But there are going to be an element that will continue. And that's what I found. And that inspired me hugely when people came over to me, like after two years of doing this, people I never knew. And they would say, thank you for, for doing all this work. Just so you know, I've just cycled to Brighton or I've just cycled to Paris. And before two years ago, you know, I couldn't even walk or something like that. There were so many stories like that. And that is what motivates me at a personal level to do this work. And um, because you're impacting individual lives. And I, believe passionately in the power of the individual to make choices and take ownership and responsibility for their own life um, because it is complicated and the world we live in is a complicated world but no one can 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 um, no one can tell us how to think uh, apart from us and the mindset is so important because if we take ownership of our mindset and and really and and, and uh, apply the tools to really support us and there are great tools around you know i'm a big meditator and now and that's really um supported me and helped me uh, keep grounded for you know for uh, you know for a long time now um, but there are other tools and not everything's for for everyone um, but uh, but being uh, being able to take ownership and responsibility for our own lives is incredibly free and um and uh uh, and and that's you know and that's what we do as uh, well-being um, professionals is we give people the opportunity to achieve freedom in their own lives. It's those personal stories that um, really do help to articulate a business case within a um, uh, within a, a, an organisation. That's awesome. Now, in the um, well-being summit, you actually were talking about some of the most powerful things that will be featuring there will be actually around the case study kinds of things. So um, tell us perhaps a little bit about the summit and then, you know, uh, uh, around some of these things that will really empower the participants or those that come out of it to come away with some, 
some exciting stories and some <laughs> other things that they can retell to others. Sure. So let, let me give you a little bit of background on the Wellbeing Summit and how I came to be involved. So, so I mentioned I went to, when I started the Corporate Wellbeing Program, which would have been five years ago now in London, I, um, I had a background in marketing and I needed to uh, develop my learning, my knowledge about workplace well-being. So I, I, I looked at uh, case studies, successful case studies, and I, I found the Wellbeing at Work uh, Summit in London. It started in London about six years ago. Um, and I went along and then a year later I presented. And then a year after that, when I was moving to Australia, I, I spoke to the, um, the founder of the business uh, to say, look, I'm going to Australia. If you want to take the summit to uh, Australia, then I'd be interested to help you to do that. And that's pretty much what happened. So in 2018, we launched the first Wellbeing at Work Sydney Summit and we repeated it in um, in 2019 of course 2020 has been an extraordinary year particularly if you're an event company so we've had to like completely pivot the business uh, and um, and now we have um, a, a virtual summit so we have the uh, 2020 uh, Sydney virtual summit and we're using really cool AI technology so it's been a great it's been a very stressful experience don't get me wrong but it's been a great learning experience you know I feel uh, I'm the expert at virtual events now, <laughs> and how, how that comes across. And so, so we're, we're running the event on the 22nd of, um, of September. One of the great things about uh, virtual events is that we can have speakers from anywhere in the world. Um, the only reason why it's a Sydney event is uh, I'm here. Uh, clearly, I'm in Sydney, but um, uh, the case studies will be uh, will have a, a, an Australian flavour, and also the time zone. The live event will, will run uh, will, will run in the um, in in the uh, in Sydney time zone. But apart from that, anyone from anywhere in the world uh, can can obviously uh, attend, and we'll be re recording it afterwards. But the focus is on what well-being champions, well-being professionals, heads of HR, people who want to make a difference in their organization uh, can really do. So we're covering the big topics. What can we do from a leadership point of view? What can we do to, to create a culture of um, diversity and inclusion? What can we do to create a culture of resilience? You know, it, it, these are words that some people like those words, some people don't like those words. That whatever your interpretation or, or, or thought are, is the fact that this year alone in Australia, you know, the year started and we're all wearing masks because Sydney was covered in smoke. Um, then came uh, COVID. Then came, uh, then came um, race riots and, you know, all of this stuff has occurred. So being able to be able to, to, be able to keep people focused on their work and on what they can do is really important. So covering that importance of resilience, mental resilience will be a key, uh, a key segment. And then we're also, uh, we're also covering a number of different case studies that look at different tools of well-being. So mental health and mental well-being is a big one. Uh, so we've got some cool, uh, cool uh, content around that. We're looking at nutrition as, a, as a, uh, an input, as a driver of mental health and mental resilience. I think often we tend to think of food as something which is about losing weight or you know, building muscles so and much more about physical well-being. But in truth, food is the foundation of well-being as, we, as, as, we, as we've been saying. So really positioning, it, positioning that in the, in, the corporate, uh, in the corporate space so people realize that one of the easiest things they could do is give their, um, their, their people access to um, 
in a better quality nutrition. We have a case study around call centers, like a really great case study because call centers have never been you know, great examples of, um, of well-being, but in, um, in, uh, in this period of time, it's created change. So, and we have a case study that really looks at the impact of remote working, call center remote working on well-being from a individual a contributor's point of view, from a manager's point of view, from a business point of view, so we can really understand, understand that. We have a youth summit. So bringing together some really um, interesting and very inspiring young people to talk about the future of work from their perspective. Um, and we have and we have a lot more we're just finalizing the program now and um you know we were going to do this as a um, a hybrid event i.e uh, an in-person event and a, a virtual event uh, but we've um, we've changed that given the uh, the current context so it, it's going to be cool and people who come the value that that people get it's it's around expertise it's around inspiration it's around access to solutions that's how we do it it's around community and um uh, and we continue we have lots of different touch points throughout the year so um yeah it's a it's an interesting uh, interesting experience and i'm, I'm excited to uh, uh, to uh, to make it happen again in a very different way Speaking of excitement, who do you find inspiring or what projects do you find exciting? What gives you hope? That's a, that's a really interesting question. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of different things that give me hope. You know, I, I tend to focus on, I'm very interested in people. I'm very interested in people's stories. That's what gives me hope. So understanding people's individual journeys how they went from where they are to where the where they are you know as a as a coach myself you know i i, I trained as a a life coach a business coach a health coach and I, I do a lot of coaching work now and one of the areas and elements that i love about it is you really understand where people have come from and the struggles that they've come they've gone through and some of the things that you hear are so dreadful but you realize that the great thing about humanity is that we are incredibly adaptable and we can survive, you know, we can survive if we do apply these tools um, and keep ourselves strong, keep ourselves uh, resourceful and keep ourselves in, in, a, in a good condition. And um, that, that's a really, those personal stories really um, inspire me and give me hope um, because history, I love history. There's so many lessons from history that help us uh, to, um, to cope through and to survive the um you know the current high seas of change if you like as i describe it that we're uh, uh, that we're um, that we're traveling uh, that we're traveling through so mm, very good um here's another question along a similar sort of line though um if do you have a favorite resource maybe it's something you've written yourself i don't know but uh, a resource or or practice or a way of of working with or providing solutions in this wellness well-being space that you would um yeah really want to give a shout out to that other people could go oh let's have a look at that oh lawrence said have a look at this so yes. what would <laughs> well i'm going i mean the first thing that comes to mind is equilibrium you know because i've created that that was a, a project of uh, the lockdown it started you know i had no intention of creating a magazine i spent years working in, mag in the magazine industry and spent years wanting to move out of the magazine <laughs> so now suddenly creating uh, my own magazine but it's a great resource because it's completely it brings together um 
I think we've got something like 60 contributors from across the, um, the health well-being, but also the entrepreneurial space, the business space, to really share expertise, to share practical tools and insights that they can, uh, that they can employ to, um, to make a difference. So that's a great, that's a great resource. Um, the Future of Work Insights, which is the, um, the well-being at work uh, broader uh, broader um, platforms. We have lots of um, really good white papers, lots of good resources that um, that can really um, help people in a business context. So whereas Equilibrium is aimed at the individual, um, Future of Work and World, the World Network Summit is aimed at the um, at the professional. So I think there are a couple of uh, a couple of resources that are great. I mean, other resources that I use are the the, um, the Ariana Huffington's uh, work. I think is incredibly great. The uh, Thrive Global uh, platform. So I, I use that a lot. Um, I mean, there are lots of great webinars increasingly, and lots of resources that I, I will tap into to um, to educate myself and to and to inspire myself. Brilliant. All right. Well, let's. Um... That's, that's a pretty good uh, rundown, I think, of, uh, and an introduction to yourself and, and to, the, to this work summit coming up. So um, perhaps now would be a good time to, uh, to kind of to point people to how they can learn more about yourself, but then also where they can go to, to sign up for the summit. Sure. So, so in, there's a couple of resources that I would really guide. I mean, I'm all over the web, so you can find me on uh, on LinkedIn, my own website, my Raw Energy website. A great resource is to go to totalwellbeing.co, where you can download Equilibrium. Uh, it's a completely free resource, so I encourage um, I encourage uh, people to do that. And then the Wellbeing Network Summit uh, is the it, it, the the website is. Um, it's not a great URL, but it's Future of Work Insights. So it's fowinsights.com uh, where you can uh, where you can um, register for the uh, for the Sydney summit. Uh, we do these summits all around the world. So Sydney is in uh, is on the twenty second of September, but we also have one in London. We have one in Singapore. We have one in uh, in um, uh, in the Netherlands, one in Toronto at, at different points. So we bring together that global perspective um, because different countries, we have uh, one in New York, one in, uh, one in San Francisco, uh, to really create this global community of well-being champions uh, to, to change and to improve the, um, uh, the, the, the cultures that, we, um, that we're, we're part of. And, um, you know, never before has there been a greater need for the work that we do. So I feel excited to be doing this work, grateful for doing this work, and I'm you know, grateful to have this conversation. So thank you very much for, um, for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lawrence. You've been listening to Beyond Wellbeing with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. Well, there we go, Lawrence certainly had a lot to share with us in uh, that particular episode and we'll um, we'll have them back to chat about specific issues around well-being in the workplace uh, in s- subsequent episodes but again if you want to catch up with Lawrence you can catch him and find him by just typing it into your web browser that's Lawrence Mitchell Lawrence with a W and then if you're looking for um, access to the summit if you just type into your browser Wellbeing Work Summit Sydney, just those words, Wellbeing Work Summit Sydney, the, uh, the link will come straight up. 
you'll find it straight away. All right, well, I, I hope you enjoyed that one today. Now, again, if you want to get in touch with um, Lena or myself, Daryl Brown, um, you can do that via our normal uh, LinkedIn uh, profiles or also through our websites at macroleaders.com.au or upsidedownleader.com. Look forward to seeing you next week.